you remember the first thing you ever worried about? I remember being anxious that my parents would split up when I was small for no discernible reason at the time. To an extent, worrying is a normal part of our lives, but if it gets out of hand for kids around maybe those first days back at school, there are tools that we can give them, even if they're very young children, to help them manage those feelings and fears. Dr Christine Grove is an education and developmental psychologist. She specialises in helping young people deal with anxiety. Uh, Dr Grove, welcome to Life Matters. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. How young are kids when they start to worry? Um, it's really interesting because often people think that nobody worries sometimes and that um, maybe kids don't worry too, even little ones like babies or um, adolescents too, right right up to, you know, almost um, end of high school. But we know that everyone worries. So babies do sometimes when their mum leaves the room, um, toddlers going to school or maybe even trying a new meal. So we know that people worry at different times about different things um, and worrying a little bit is really healthy and normal in everyday life. And as you say, it's different things for different age groups, but you've had a look at what preschoolers and primary schoolers and and teenagers worry about. What did you find? Um, It's really interesting because they worry about a lot more things than probably parents might and teachers might give them credit for. So um, they are worrying usually about things that are change. So we we know with the COVID pandemic that brought up a whole set of new worries for young people. So we are seeing um, hangover worries from that, um, as well as this being almost the first year that kids are going to school with no threat of lockdowns or changes to a hybrid model again as well. So we know that we have had those kind of worries um, coming up this year for kids being nervous going back to school and being back in routine. Like, is this it? Am I really going to school or are we going to fall down? Um, but then we see other worries too around um, friends and socialising. So being back in that network um, and back in that system of school lunches and breaks too. Yeah, I mean, some of those things were very familiar, just feeling left out or being teased, little kids worried about that. What struck me, though, was that about a third of teenagers worry about their mental health, which seems like a bit Mm. of a vicious cycle. Yeah, absolutely. So we're seeing um, that's a really big issue. Body image has come up as a really big issue as well. Um, And then the academics and learning has come up as a big worry for for young people. But mental health and and social media plays into that um, has come up in research as some of the biggest worries for some of our adolescents um, going into secondary school. That has been a really big worry for them. How are the children in your life coping with being back at school? Perhaps your children's worries are manifesting in interesting ways. Because, Christine, that can happen, can't it? That's not just kids coming up to you and saying, I am worried. Exactly, exactly. And, you know, we do know that some people do worry more than others. So we know that either through personality or genetics that they're more likely to be a warrior and have that predeposition. Um, so it can run in family. So maybe you might see mum's a warrior or grandma's a warrior too, um, or it could be siblings as well. But it is really common. So if we think of a classroom, there's a good chance that three or four kids in that classroom classroom have worries too. So it's actually more common um, that kids will be worrying in a classroom setting or, you know, just quite a few kids in a room. So often I like to say you're not alone. There are, you know, other kids who have those worries and concerns as well. Well, and when we look at going back to school, uh, let's have a talk about an article that came out in the nine newspapers in Victoria in particular from the Shadow Minister for Education saying, look, if your kid is refusing school, you need to show tough love. It's up to parents and parents alone, not governments to fix this. What are your thoughts on that, the idea that school should be non-negotiable? 
Yeah, it's a really, it was a really interesting article to read. Um, and I was surprised to read that because I do think that um, parents are doing the best that they can at the school gate, trying to get their kids to go to school. Um, but we know from research that that really tough authoritarian love isn't the best way to support um, our youngsters to get to school. Um, being responsive and then listening to what their concerns are is much more helpful um, and being really strict on and controlling their behaviours to get into the classroom is more likely to cause issues down the track. Um, and we want to be developing, you know, emotional intelligence in our children and talking to them about how they're feeling and what their worries might be about going to school um, rather than punishing them for sharing those experiences. So when a child is angry and, and yelling, um, meeting them with that kind of behaviour isn't going to be helpful or teach them um, how to regulate their emotions. So it might be on the rise that kids are struggling to get back into the classroom, um, but punishing them for that fear and that worry um, isn't going to get them in the classroom anytime sooner. In some of your writings, um, excuse me, Dr. Christine Grove, you you say you know that it is important to get onto it quickly though and step in with uh, support and help if someone is refusing to go to school. What is the best way to react in that crisis moment? Yeah, absolutely. So it is it is good to hopefully see the signs before you get to the school gate um, and before you might be in a situation where your child is crying and, and really upset or not talking or refusing to, to go into the school, onto the school grounds. Um, so hopefully you're looking for signs like they're not enjoying school at all or they're really quiet around school activities um, or you see a change in their personality too. That That's a bit of a big one. So if they're really chatty and then they're not at all or if um, they do share a little bit about their day but then don't share anything, um, that can be quite a big marker that they're not enjoying school and that's something to look at to either talk to the teacher about or to check in with them as well. Um, not all kids talk a lot so don't expect after school for them to give you a rundown of all the activities that they've done um that that can also just mean that they've had you know need some downtime and and to get home and and chill for a little bit before they go into what this school day has been all about um but in the moment um it's about listening and being responsive to the emotion that you're you're receiving um and trying to take a comment um in in that exact moment when it's happening so that can be hard for parents um i definitely acknowledge that because the first thing you want to say is just get to school you know once you're there it'll be fun or you'll see your friends or you'll get guitar practice today what you love doing um, and so sometimes in that heat of the moment negotiating doesn't work so we want to put that emotion back down um, so that they feel calm and, and ready for the school day hopefully sorry sorry Hillary, hopefully you have a you know a, a champion teacher in the school that can come out and help or um, a really good friend who can help uh, make that situation safe for you and your child yes yeah we we do know from doing stories on school refusal that it is quite a patchwork in different schools around the country uh, and that can have big implications for children. We're speaking with Dr Christine Grove who's an education and developmental psychologist, a lecturer at Monash University and she specialises in helping young people deal with anxiety. I was reading a lovely book for younger kids the other day about how to deal with the worries that everyone has and we have the author here with us too. Jess Sanders is a social worker and she's written this book called You've Got This, A Little One's Guide to Wrangling Worries. It's part of a series about how to deal with some of life's big issues and she visits schools to talk about this stuff too. Jess Sanders, great to have you with us. Good morning, Hilary. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Why a book though? I think books are incredible resources to help 
uh, young people to gather the knowledge and the tools to support their emotional well-being. Um, they're accessible. Anyone can get one from a library or they're generally quite affordable. And teachers can use them in schools to share this knowledge with a whole classroom. So I'm very passionate about creating resources and I think books are just really powerful. And this is a lovely book because it shows different kids from different backgrounds engaged in different things that might worry them. There's one that's worried about, you know, big waves at the sea and another one that's worried about going to school and and one that's worried about joining a different sports team. Why did you decide on those particular situations? Well, those are situations, I guess, that um, I'd heard anecdotally coming up from friends of mine who have little ones. Um, And also when I remember back to my own childhood, you know, things that would worry me as well. So, for example, I remember joining a new sports team, um, starting to play volleyball and being so, so nervous and not knowing anyone. Um, And that really holding me back from engaging in what was actually a life-changing kind of community that I got, eventually got involved in. So I think they're really common worries, but obviously every little one is different and they'll have all different kinds of worries. Um, but those are three kind of common examples. I love the page too where the illustration shows these kids walking along the street with uh, about you know 15 adults, all with a little thought bubble coming out of their heads with their own worry. Money, aliens, <laughs> spiders. Why was it important to you just to show, uh, to normalise that experience of worrying, to show that everyone does it? I think it's really important to normalise worries um, to reduce shame and stigma around them. And so for little ones, you know, often they think their experience is that they're the only ones having that experience, that they're alone in it, and that can create shame. And we might not even know that's going on for a little one because we potentially haven't opened up the conversation about it. So showing them that even grown-ups worry too and that this is something that is normal and a part of life I think is a really important part of changing their relationship to their worry and also reducing shame. Well, quick question for Dr Christine Grove here. Uh, how can parents help to normalise that without you know constantly going on about our worries? Because I imagine that doesn't help young people either. No, it doesn't. And I think um, avoiding worries, um, big or small, doesn't help. So we don't want to make them worse and avoid them completely. Um, so I think if we try and support young young youngsters to make their big worries into smaller ones so that they're not on their mind all the time. Um, and I don't know, you've both heard of hot cocoa breathing, but that's one of my favourites. Um, it's just a grounding exercise where you, you, you know, pretend you're holding a hot cup of, of, of cocoa um, and then you breathe in the smell of what that would smell like. Um, you look at the marshmallows that might be in it um, and then you hold your breath for one, a count to three and then breathe out. So if there are some worries there, it's important to try to distract yourself with grounding exercises, um, especially if they're quite big worries um, to help them to be a little bit smaller. But this book sounds fantastic um, and I think a resource like this would really help parents to be able to talk about worries in a way that is normalising um, and it might be a really nice conversation tool to use um, to talk about worries if you're not sure about, you know, if they're really scary or confusing um, and to unpack that with your little one. Well, yes, and Jess Sanders' book does come with discussion notes too. It's called You've Got This, A Little One's Guide to Wrangling Worries. And Jess, you talk about ways uh, that kids can ground themselves or as you put it in the book, uh, show their brain they're safe rather than telling their brain. What are some of those tools that you mention? Yeah, so I'm very big on tools and resources that I've said. And so in the book, I've included a few different examples of ways that a young person can um, essentially yeah, regulate, bring themselves back into their body and show their body that they're safe rather than telling them. Because if you're saying, oh, you're fine, you're fine, 
that is dismissive of the emotion that's coming up and it's ultimately not going to help like Christine said earlier. So one of them is the deep breathing and the hot cocoa exercise is something that I love as well and that's something that young people have incredible imagination so we can bring to them and can be really powerful. I think also forms of movement such as running or playing, exercising, um, playing with a ball is a great way to help a young person to regulate, come back into their body and also things that are creative like drawing or colouring in um, and every young person is different so I encourage them in the book to find you know strategies that work for them and add that to their toolkit. And Jess you've written that you know this book is about increasing mental health literacy uh, among young kids how do you do that in an age-appropriate way for very small kids just about saying you know this is what worry is? Well, I guess you really simplify the language and what's going on. And that's what I've really tried to do in the book is to help them, you know, have the under understanding of that they have a brain and the brain is trying to keep them safe, um, but in a really simplistic way that they can understand and break it down. Um, I think it's also helping them to develop awareness of themselves and to be curious and to notice um, the changes in their body and what might be going on in their brain, because that awareness is the first step um, and it's such an important part of mental health literacy. And I think what Christine was talking about before, the physical symptoms, it's helping them to go, oh, my tummy's um, a bit upset today and to to be able to connect that to anxiety is a really powerful thing. And then to be able to be like, we've actually got strategies and tools we can use to help bring that tummy ache down so that we can get on doing the things that we want to do. And those things will just increase resilience in young people and make them really resilient adults as well. Imagine if we all learned those tools when we were younger. Well, and Dr. Christine Grove, I know you've been listening to Jess Sanders and, and there's a lot of resonance to, between what she says about, you know, uh, teaching the young child's body and brain that, that things are safe and what you talk and write about as well. I guess one question that arises for me is what about if that child's world isn't safe? If there is, you know, trauma or loss or really big worries in that child's life or background that make it harder for them to convince themselves that things are safe because they might not be, what do you do then? Um, that's a really um, great defining point um, that you made here around that we do have some worries and they can be helpful and understanding that they do help us in moments of danger. So, for example, worry of crossing the road and, and jumping out of the way if a car comes past. That's a really helpful worry to have and reaction to have. But we know that some kids actually have that level of anxiety and that worry constantly. So they always feel like they might get hit by a car and on alert. And that tells us that they're more likely to struggle when it comes to learning and making friends and feeling safe in the classroom. Um, and so in situations where we have students or we know children um, who experience that kind of worry, um, seeking out professional support um, from a social worker or a psychologist or the school wellbeing team will be critical um, to support that young person to learn strategies that work for them day to day. Um, and often an allied team of support coming around them um, can be the most helpful. So that might be you know, an occupational therapist to help with sensory um, and the body movement, as well as then a school psychologist to support around their emotional regulation and, and their anxiety day to day. Um, and then a really supportive teacher around their learning. So we know that those sorts of teams around students like this and young people who 
experienced trauma in this way um, will benefit most uh, to have a supportive health team around them. We are seeing a move to this in schools, um, which we have mental health practitioners um, in most schools in Victoria, just by way of example. Um, and so hopefully we'll see more of the support in the school system as we understand what this level anxiety does to children who experience it at high levels. Well, and hopefully that would help um, the concerns of some of the young people that you spoke to in your research. You said they feel completely unsupported at school and really set adrift when it comes to their mental health. Absolutely. And um, one of the programs that we um, are running at the moment um, across schools, it's been incredible to hear young people say, I just wish I learned this, you know, in primary school around mental health literacy, around what I do when I'm struggling, when my friend's struggling, and they don't actually know how to call a helpline. So teaching those skills physically and, and how to do it is an incredible part of you know, mental health literacy and awareness. Um, and they do. A lot of young people feel very isolated in the school system and don't really go for help or talk about mental health. There is still a lot of stigma around this issue, even though we're getting better about talking about it. When I started my career 10 years ago, there's no way this topic was on the radio. Um, and so it's fantastic that we are talking about it now, but we do need to see some action happening in schools to support young people. Yes, I was, I was struck by some of your writings, Christine, where you said, you know, kids and young people sometimes have such trouble verbalising when they need help. Maybe with young kids, you can just give them a card they can hand to the teacher or to you that shows that, you know, they need some support with a worry or an app for a teenager. Obviously, digital solution, much better. Jess Sanders, just to finish up with, at the end of your book, you you talk about what it looks like to be brave and to confront the worries, like, you know, walking through that school gate or giving those big waves a go. What's the thinking behind that section? Why was that important to put in? I think that it's important to, you know, be brave and find that within yourself because, like, all of us, you know, have fear. That's a normal part of life. Um, But the difference is, I guess, the people that are able to go out there and chase their dreams and do things, they're being brave. And I think to little ones looking um, up to maybe someone in their class who's um, being brave, like, oh, they don't seem to have any fear. I really wanted them to know that actually everyone has fear and worries, but you can be brave anyway. And that's, I think, a really important lesson and hopefully empowering for them. Um, They'll increase their confidence. And each time they do it, they're going to collect evidence that, yes, they actually actually can do this. They've got this. They have everything that they need. I do hope so. Jess Sanders, thanks so much for your time today. Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks for having me. Jess is a social worker and author. The book's called You've Got This, A Little One's Guide to Wrangling Worries. Dr. Christine Grove, great to have you with us today. Thanks for your time. Thank you so much. appreciate being here. Christine's a psychologist who specialises in helping young people deal with anxiety. Lots of texts on this. Sometimes kids just start talking if you hang out with them, says one. I've had little kids suddenly tell about things they're scared of when we're just drawing or gardening together. Yeah, that's great, isn't it, when they don't have to make eye contact. Beverly writes, I taught primary-aged ESL, new arrival children, throughout my career. I'd collect them from their classes where often they'd been sitting mutely or playing up terribly each group would start as a sharing circle where they'd tell me their worries and joys in broken English or through a friend. It might take half the lesson, but it was essential to their well-being as they could be incredibly anxious about being in a new class with so many unknowns. If for some reason I launched straight into the prepared lesson, they'd pull me up and remind me I hadn't asked them how they were. It was a joy for all of us, says Beverly. And on our discussion about chronic pain, one or two texts that really uh, struck me on that discussion today. Brendan says, 
I've had HIV for nearly 40 years. The treatment causes peripheral neuropathy, nerve endings sending pain messages to the brain. Intensely painful, no cure. Aqua aerobics is very helpful, but the group sessions supervised by a physiotherapist stopped during COVID. They still haven't returned. If you're living on a pension, you can forget about treatment because of money. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.